This is the Champion Forum Podcast with Jeff Hancher, the forum for leaders, champions, and dreamers. Welcome back to the Champion Forum Podcast, where I am on a mission to ensure everyone reaches their fullest potential in this life. I can assure you that today's episode will be nothing short of magical. I'm honored to have Lee Cockrell on the show today. Lee is a former executive vice president of operations for the Walt Disney World Resort. And as the senior operating executive for 10 years, Lee led a team of 40,000 cast members and was responsible for the operations of 20 resort hotels, four theme parks, two water parks, a shopping and entertainment village, and the ESPN Sports and Recreation Complex. One of Lee's major and lasting legacies was the creation of Disney Great Leader Strategies. This was used to train and develop over 7,000 leaders at Walt Disney World. And Lee has held various executive positions in hospitality and the entertainment industries with the likes of Hilton Hotels, Marriott Corporation, uh, before joining Disney in 1990 to open the Disneyland Paris project. Now, since then, uh, since departing from Disney, Lee's dedicated himself to helping others through speaking, through coursework, podcasting, and writing, writing books. Lee, I have to tell you, your journey to success and your teaching has truly inspired me, and I want to welcome you to the Champion Forum podcast. Oh, thanks very much, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Yeah. It is an honor. You know, Lee, like, like myself, uh, you began your life with humble beginnings, and it, it has been awesome. I, the more I get to learn about you and your journey, the more intrigued I become, and uh, the more it inspires me to be a better leader and a better dad. And uh, <laughs> your story is amazing. You're born and raised in Oklahoma, no indoor plumbing, to go on to have a 41-year career with 19 promotions with your last position as an executive leader at one of the most admired companies in the world. And I don't care what anybody says, nobody gets that lucky. So can you give us an overview of that journey and what advice you would give to somebody that's also looking to advance their career like you have successfully done? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, uh, it's true. I grew up in Oklahoma. We didn't have anything. I didn't know anything. <laughs> I uh, lived in a little town where Nobody even talked about college. Uh, I, I tell people my mother was married five times. She, <laughs> she was busy, and <laughs> I got adopted twice. I got the name Cockrell when I was 16 from husband number four. Got to go to college, but I went for two years and flunked out because I didn't go to class. And I was very immature, uh, so I just uh, didn't have any choice. I went in the Army, and uh, uh, when I got out, I met a guy there. We went to Washington, D.C., and he said, you want to go – get a job at the Washington Hilton. It's going to open in two weeks. So that's the hotel where President Reagan got shot by John Hinckley back in the 80s Wow! when he, when he was coming out of the hotel after a meeting. And uh, I went, I got a job as a banquet waiter. I had no idea what that was. And uh, that's what they offered me. I took it. Luckily, I had somebody, one of the uh, uh, managers there took me by the hand. I guess he liked me and taught me the business. And so I did well there. And I Finally got in a management training program, met my wife there at that hotel, uh, um, and it started off. I worked there as I was a food and beverage controller, and then I uh, 
went to Chicago to the Chicago Hilton and did the same. Then I got moved up to the Waldorf Astoria in New York and uh, uh, worked for about three years. And then I went to Los Angeles at the Hilton there. And then I left Hilton and went to uh, Marriott and, and really uh, uh, had a great career there for 17 years. I became the vice president of food and beverage because I had kind of focused on the food and beverage business and, kind of by accident, but I got really good at it because I had a lot of experience in it at every level. I'd been a waiter, I'd been a manager, I'd been a controller, I'd been, I knew the business upside down, inside out. And uh, so that's how it went along. And then I got recruited by Disney in 1990 to go to France. And they, and again, they wanted me to go and open the food and beverage operations. Uh, and not particularly what I wanted to do, but we were pretty excited about moving to France and working for Disney. And my wife especially wanted to move to Paris. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we did that. And uh, I was there three years, went through the opening, and I got asked to come to Disney World to be in charge of the hotel division at Walt Disney World. And then about two years after that, I got promoted to be in charge of all operations at Disney World. So I had them fooled for all those years. They thought I knew what I was doing. <laughs> and uh, one philosophy I have for anybody out there in the world that's listening, that's insecure, or doesn't think they know enough. As soon as you've realized nobody knows what they're doing, you'll be fine. <laughs> and uh, so uh, it was great. And uh, I, uh, I liked all the jobs I had. I kind of, I just fell into the hotel business. I didn't plan to do this. And luckily I liked it and liked it a lot. It's exciting. It's different every day. Living all over the world was fun. And, uh, you learn so much and you meet people from every background. You know, I, I served president Johnson once on, wow. uh, and I served Ted Kennedy. I served a lot of uh, famous people here. I was just this waiter reaching over and giving them their food. But hmm. uh, <laughs> was, was that, uh, was that at the Waldorf by chance? Uh, the first two were at uh, the Washington Hilton because okay. a lot of the uh, events yeah. were held at the Washington. We had a ballroom that seated 3000 for dinner. So, it was the biggest ballroom at the time. And so a lot of the presidents were there all the time. And, yeah. uh, so uh, for an Oklahoma boy from the farm, I was learning a lot. I'd never yeah. seen a wine. I don't think I'd ever seen a wine glass or three forks <laughs> on a table. And, well, I think uh, it's amazing. You, I, I heard in one of your stories, you had mentioned uh, you never even left Oklahoma until you were 20 years old. So yeah. you talk about, you know, culture shock. I think the military, obviously, uh, those that listen to the show know that I'm a veteran as well. It teaches you diversity and it teaches you a lot of those things. But so you go to DC and you know, we see how your story ended and it's an amazing story, but clearly there were some challenges along the way. And I know <laughs> that you reference a couple of uh, bosses that maybe were tyrants. And I love the story about uh, your wife trying to give you great advice when you decided to go to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, maybe talk about that for a minute. Yeah, well, I was at Hilton for eight years, and I was doing well, and I went to the L.A. Hilton, and the manager I worked for there was kind of one of these screamers, and uh, he was, uh, he and I didn't get along very well because uh, I get really, I don't like people yelling at me. <laughs> yeah, it, still, it still bothers me, makes my stomach hurt. So I just went and found another job, and it was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where I doubled my salary, and I went from, I think, uh, 18,000 to 30,000 a year. I thought I was rich. Yeah. We moved out there and it was the worst job. The place <laughs> went bankrupt during 90 days. I was there. They, uh, 
I didn't know how my wife had told me to get a contract. I said, Hey honey, I know what I'm doing, which proved I didn't. <laughs> and, uh, so I came home, told her I got fired today. We have no money. We have a two year old, we have a Volkswagen and uh, the sheriff confiscated our furniture because we broke the lease on the apartment and to get it back, it would be $2,000, which I didn't have. And fuck, lucky I had a life insurance policy with some cash value on it. I cashed that in, got our furniture back. It took me two months to find a job, finally with Marriott. And then we lived in a hotel for a month in Boston while I, they were training me, but they didn't pay for anything. I mean, literally, uh, we had to pay for our own meals. I, Priscilla and I used to order a hamburger platter and split it. I mean, we were broke. And uh, But, you know, it... Uh, it worked out and uh, uh, that was an experience. I learned a lot from getting fired. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I it's think people that look at your life now and they <laughs> see the success and how the story ended, it's easy to look at somebody like Lee Cockrell and say, well, you know, he's just different and sometimes yeah, right. it just works out for some people. And I'm sure you've heard those kind of things along the way. What advice would you give to that person that? Maybe they are the underdog a little bit like you were, like I was. Uh, maybe they have faced a firing or a setback or whatever it yeah. might be. Uh, your story is, is, is uh, a great one. You know, what, what advice would you give to somebody that's looking to have a, uh, a world-class type of a career that's maybe encountering some setbacks or they don't know how they're going to get there because they weren't given a good shot coming yeah. out of the gate? Yeah. I think there's a couple of things that made me successful. One, I think uh, the two most important ones, are I have a really good attitude. So when every boss I worked for knew Lee was smiling, came in and never had that look on my face. And I had a strong work ethic because I grew up in Oklahoma and you just worked. We didn't even call it work. We didn't know you had a choice. And, uh, then, uh, I think the other thing I'm really organized. Uh, that's why I've been teaching time management for 30 years, teaching people how to get their, really what they ought to be thinking about, what you ought to be working on right now in your life that may not pay off for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Anticipating what you need to be doing for the future. And and uh, so I'm really good at that. And uh, when you have a good attitude and you're reliable and credible and you keep your promises, uh, the boss likes that. And then the other thing, I became an expert in something, which I would tell everybody, at least become an expert in something before you keep jumping all around. I, I got known for my knowledge of food and beverage and food and beverage operations and service and how to make a profit in that business. And so uh, it's something I could, you know, I didn't jump around a lot. I just, I actually, I did food and beverage for 25 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, you learn a lot. I learned how to manage the P&L. I learned, you know, people, just guests, I mean, Guests at Disney and Marriott and Hilton, they're, they're, they, they expect a lot and you mm -hmm. gotta, you gotta know how to take care of that and do it and satisfy these strangers that come into your hotel every day. So right. I would say, don't underestimate what you can achieve because if you go back to when Lee Cocker was 20 years old, I knew nothing. I, if you'd have told me I was going to run Disney world operations, some dad, I said, you're the craziest person I'd ever lived. I don't even know sure. what you're talking about. And, uh, because, but from 20 to later in your life, you learn a lot and you get learn it through education. Obviously I didn't get it in college. I got it when I finally grew up and matured and started paying attention to going to seminars and reading more and being more observant and understanding and taking classes. And then I would say education experience, 
is big, really big. I mean, when you live in Washington, Chicago, Washington, Paris, uh, LA, I mean, you, I tell young people today, when you graduate from college, go to the big city first. You can come and live in Florida when you're old, but yeah. go where go where people are from everywhere. Uh, the pace is good. It's, uh, I mean, there's nothing like living in those big cities and yeah. uh, you learn a lot. And I got out of the village in Oklahoma. <laughs> I, I escaped because when I was 20, I thought everybody in the world had blonde hair and blue eyes. And, you know, and uh, I found out that wasn't true. I've been to 45 countries now, so I've kind of had a lot of exposure. That's amazing. So I would say think about education, exposure, and experience. And you got to get a sum of all those. Uh, you know, we know a lot of people have good education. They're smart, but they don't know how to use it. They don't. That's right. Re they don't respect other people. They, I mean, it's all about me, me, me. I'm yeah. smarter than you. And yeah, and, we talked uh, about that before yeah. we started recording, Lee. That uh, I said, man, some, you know, the more and more I get to learn about you, the more and more I feel like we have in common. And then one of the things that we talked about was the the fear of failing. And <laughs> you can have the greatest degree in the world, but if you don't have a healthy edge about you. You know, there's something to be said about running scared a little, you know, you get a little extra strength and a little extra energy whenever, you know, you don't want to go back to Oklahoma with no running water inside, <laughs> you know, that can propel you to greatness, right? Oh, absolutely. Fear of failure has uh, got me up every morning. Uh, first, uh, it was uh, I didn't want to fail and uh, it would be embarrassing. Even today, people say, why do you still speak, Lee? Why do you write books? Why don't you just retire and enjoy your life? And I said, because I'm insecure. And when I speak, people clap and I need that. <laughs> so, That's right. You know, that I don't play golf because nobody claps. So... Uh, <laughs> It's just a matter of, uh, you know, I'm still insecure, but I've learned how to manage it because I tell everybody about half the stuff in your brain's not true. A lot of it went in there when you were little. You don't even know it's up there, by the way. So maybe you lived or treated or you, mm -hmm. how you did in school, all these little things that pile up to cause insecurity. And uh, that's why I always talk to parents, you know, it's so important those first few years to really sure. make make the kids feel safe and secure. And it is for new employees too, to really uh, make sure you stay close to them when they first come. Cause we've all had that feeling of being in a new job and we don't have a clue what we're doing. And right. uh, it makes you insecure. <laughs> yeah. so I came to Disney. I had no idea what they were talking about half the time. But, you know, so It's amazing. Uh, you know, Lee, yeah. something that you said, and I, I didn't even have this as a question, but you know, it's just so intriguing to me. And I'd love to get your take on this. You know, we talk about the fear of failure. And as I look back in my leadership tenure, uh, you know, I've led, you know, several people. And I look back to the, some of the peak performers that I had. That, um, that grit, uh, that fear of failure, the intangibles that people, that some, there's just people out there that have a different gear. And, <laughs> you know, you, you were... I, I don't want to say you weren't running to something, but maybe you were definitely running from something. I know that I was. Now, what uh, some people that are listening might not know is not only is Lee a great uh, leadership executive, uh, but he also has raised one. Uh, his son, <laughs> Dan, is also a world-class leader as well. And I don't know, I've not met Dan, but I don't know if fear of failing is his driver. You provided him with a life that you didn't have necessarily. Talk to me as a dad and to the parents out there that are trying to instill the intangibles. 
what is it that you did differently and how could you instill some of that to create, uh, you know, the best version of yourself and your kids? Well, Daniel will say, he and I'll do a program together sometimes and I'll tell people about my life. And then Daniel will say, well, I didn't have any of those problems. I had a perfect life. (laughs) We we laugh about it, but uh, that's what you're supposed to do is make the next generation better, I guess. And I never met my father. I don't even know who he is. And uh, uh, I just... I just, my wife and I talked about this a lot when we got married is that the things I heard about bigotry and racism and all that crazy stuff in these small little places is, it's not going to happen in our house. And our son, I guarantee you, Daniel, he, he didn't have a discriminatory bone in his body. He never saw it. He lived all over the world. He had friends from everywhere. Uh, he's married to a French woman. Um, he got his undergraduate degree at Boston University and he got his master's at Rollins College here in Florida. And He's a smart guy, and he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He's 100% high integrity. He's been married 26 years. He's got three kids that are 24, 21, and 19 who are all doing great. And uh, it's just creating that environment and, you know, making sure that safety and uh, education were the two things we always thought about with our son, safety and education. And a lot of that education is him watching my wife and I, you know. And uh, uh, understanding what's right and what's wrong, and 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 then he was, and he was also, uh, he's a good-looking guy. He's uh, almost six foot, blonde hair, blue eyes, a big football, big football player, <laughs> and he's nice. <laughs> and, Come on, uh, are you so sure he, it's not a robot? Come on, Lee. <laughs> you know, he told me. He said, you know, I know I had a lot of privilege in this world compared to a lot of people. And uh, he's well aware of that, that uh, uh, he has an advantage over some people because of just who you are and how you grew up and what color you are, frankly. Well, I mean, look, to your point, Lee, um, that's what we just spoke about is a message to everybody because there are people out there listening right now. Uh, I hope there's even young people listening to our conversation today and they see your story and my story. And they're saying, look, uh, if Lee and Jeff did it, I think I could do it too. But there's also people that uh, are like Daniel and has a dad that's ultra successful. And maybe they feel like, (laughs) how in the world am I ever going to compete with that? Um, Well, Daniel's a living example that that you can do that. And maybe that's another podcast episode. But success is for everybody if you put your mind to it, no question. Now, you have had a lot of accomplishments, 19 promotions, 41-year career. Uh, what would you define as your biggest accomplishment of your career? Well, I think uh, I moved from being a kind of an autocratic young manager because of my insecurities. And as I got management positions, I was kind of uh, intolerant. I pushed people around. And and I tell anybody, if any, if you ever have a boss that does that or they're – yelling at you, raising their voice, trying to intimidate you. That's a person with a lot of self-confidence uh, problems. Mm-hmm. And I had to work my way out of that over time. And I started going to seminars, reading more, thinking about it, thinking about that I was part of the problem. Not <laughs> People were afraid of me. Mm-hmm. And I found that out. Uh, I found out my nickname was Doberman. Nice. Uh, yeah, really great. <laughs> now I'm a, cock, I'm a cocker spaniel now. I can bite, but I don't. And... Uh, <laughs> So uh, it was just a matter of trying to work my way out of that. As I had more success, and I worked hard to be successful, and I think even early on, I worked hard to be liked, too. Uh, 
my as I got promoted more and more, my confidence started to grow, and then eventually I figured out, okay, I this, I, I understand this. I know how to treat people now. I'm not going to intimidate people anymore. I'm just going to hire great people, train them, and treat them right, and let them do their job. And then I'll figure out what to do with my time. And uh, in the old days, I just tried to get people to do it because of who I, you know, I abuse my authority. Do it. Do it Friday. I don't care. I don't want to hear any excuse. You know, I didn't care about anything except me. Right. Get you know, and I went. I I made, and that was all again insecurity. I just uh, wanted the car, the stock options, the bonus, blah blah blah, the promotion. Sure. I used to tell people if somebody offered me that next job, I wouldn't even take that thing, because I was afraid. I wouldn't be offered it. So was, yeah, right. I mean, I always if, if had you never a play. You can't lose, right? Now I always put up the wall. Yeah, and uh, and it even affected my marriage. I mean, there were times when you know I was defensive. When you're defensive, it's not good for your marriage. My wife and I have now been married fifty-one years, and uh, it uh, it was me, and it yeah. was me me wanting to control everything. Sure, when you're insecure. You want to be in control. You don't trust anybody. And, uh, so I've worked my way out of that and, uh, it was hard and, uh, control can get you into trouble because yeah. you can't control any, everybody, you know, I used to tell my wife I wanted her closet to look like mine. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> that didn't work out too well. Because was done right. Yeah. Finally, when I quit uh, annoying her and uh, <laughs> criticizing her, she got better. So, that was, <laughs> well, you know, that's, a, that's a great, uh, a great point. And, uh, I coach a lot of leaders currently and, uh, I have a vast handful that are, are faced with either partnerships or other leaders in their organization. Uh, the, I would call it the extremes. And I mean, look, you, on your journey from a banquet waiter to an executive leader, you've had many bosses and, and you've developed many great leaders. So on, on that subject of, you know, uh, the Doberman, if you will, I want to talk about maybe the two extremes. Um, you have, you have the epitome of servant leadership. And if you're too far that way, people will define you as soft and a pushover. And then you have your challenger, which could be the one with the big stick, my way or the highway, because I said so, I'm the boss. Um, and they just come in and they swing the stick. And some people will lean, go all in one way or the other, thinking it's the right way. What are yeah. the risks, risks of going all in on that tyrant or that too far servant leadership? And how would you tell leaders that are listening is the best way to strike the balance with the two? Well, I would say there are two things that people that are going to be able to handle that, and which I think I eventually uh, got. And the two most important things are to have empathy and discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's kind of like raising your kids. You love them, but you're going to discipline them. You're going to have tough conversations with them. And you may have a real tough conversation, but before they go to bed, you're going to tell them you love them, and the things are going to be all right. And I think that's the key. If you have too much empathy and not enough discipline, you know, people just say you're a nice person, but you're not going to get much done. And if you have too much discipline, not enough empathy, people are going to say you're a jerk. And uh, so I, I think that balance of those two. And I think the key is having the ability to tell the truth with empathy and discipline. So if somebody's got something wrong, they need, you need to talk to them about it, but you do it, but you do it in a way that uh, they don't go home and can't sleep for four days, that uh, you balance that out. And um, 
So it's the same. I mean, it's uh, it's all people. There's nothing yeah. else. Biggest problem you'll ever have in your life is going to be with people. It's never going to be products or issues. I mean, it's never. Right. Even this uh, pandemic we're going through now, that's not going to be the biggest problem in your life. It's always right. going to be people. Yeah. And if you got to handle people with finesse and everybody's got a problem you don't know about, and we all have anxiety. We all, I mean, it's, so you got to try to be focused, paying attention. What's going on here? I yeah. mean, it's like my wife. I couldn't come home. If I'm paying attention, I know if she's in a good mood or not. I can make it better or worse. <laughs> so it's right. better to pay attention. And I can uh, sense getting to know people well enough so I can tell when something's not going right. So I can try to see how I can help them. Somebody told me they're quite, one thing we ought to t say to everybody these days, is there anything else I can do for you? Love it. You know, I mean, really your wife, your kids, yeah. anything else you need. Yeah. I right. called the guy, I called the guy I mentor this morning. He's going to college. I got him into college, it's a tough neighborhood he was in. And I just called him up and I said, Hey man, how you doing? He said, oh, well, everybody says fine. I said, no, sure. I mean, really, you got any financial problems? I can help you out there. And then he said, no, I'm good. I'd save my money. I'm going to school. I said, okay, just you make sure you don't ever feel intimidated that you can't call me and say, Lee, here's what I need. And I said, just let me know what else I can do for you. Wow. Because I happen to be able to, and I'd be happy to do it. Yeah. Uh, all you can do is what you can do. That's you know, right. Somebody said, you can't do everything for everybody, but you can do something for somebody. There you and, have it. Uh, and uh, it's true. And, it is uh, true. I, and I love that. Yeah, I, I tell young professionals that all the time when they ask me, you know, how do, I, how do I advance? How do I keep going? That's one piece of advice I always give is before you leave the office every day, go ask your boss if there's anything else that you can do for them and do it every day. And eventually yeah. there's, they're going to say yes. And that might mean more sacrifice and a little bit more pain and a little more hours. But, you know, now you're engaging, you're getting opportunity. And so goes it uh, in, in our personal lives as well. And I think that's how we really uh, create value. Back to your point of finding the balance. Uh, I think I heard you once say, uh, lead like a, a good mom, you know, with finding yeah. that empathy and the discipline, you know, because I, to your point earlier, Lee, like those leaders that are out there, and if you're listening, you're either naive or, or you know what we're talking about. You know, if you're a high servant leadership, you feel good because everybody tells you you're nice and you like that applause and you like hearing that, but sure. to least point, no results. Uh -huh. If you're the tyrant, it might be the complete opposite where you're, you're driving KPIs, the, the, the balance sheet looks awesome and you feel like you're winning, uh, but you're winning the battle, but little did you know you're losing the war because then turnover starts happening and the thing falls apart. So I think that's great feedback, Lee. And, uh, really, really good perspective on that that subject. Now, you know, when we think of, um, you know, your career uh, and all of the different uh, positions, you moved several times. What, what in your career do you think you could offer to leaders listening that might help them give perspective and navigate the adversity that many organizations are facing right now. You referenced the pandemic as we're recording this. It's, it's April of 2020 and the world is in turmoil. And I've been working with leaders all over the country to help them navigate some of this uncertainty with, you know, stocks dropping. We talked a little bit about that, Lee, furloughs, layoffs, businesses being shut down. Some people may even lose their business. You have faced some challenges in your career as well. Maybe talk about those and what advice are you giving leaders now that are in the face of uncertainty and uh, 
facing uh, the, the battle of the beast, if you will? Well, it's different for different companies and different people, but I tell you, I had a group last week. We had 500 of their managers online talking about this very thing. All their stores are closed. And, and uh, <clears throat> I think the key thing I would say is you do what you can and you tell the truth. And uh, if you can do more, you do more. If you can't do more, you tell them and why. And don't, you know, I, I try to tell people today the truth is always the best route. And uh, trying to spin it, um, you know, everything's going to be fine. Well, let's just, we don't know what it's going to be. And uh, uh, you don't need to uh, try to treat them like a two-year-old. And uh, so I think uh, stay close to your people, be available, make sure they can get a hold of you. Uh, and uh, I mean, there's only so much you can do. And by the way, you can't project how this is going to play out. Right. Because people say to me, what would you do, Lee? I said, you, don't, you can't say that about any crisis until you're in the middle of it yourself because it can change hour by hour. It can change day by day. Something else happens. You've got to go another route. You think you're going down the right way. You may not. You've got to be really open, flexible, and surround yourself by people who are smart. And that's what we did when we managed 9-11, hurricanes. I have a command center. I get the people in there. I get brains around me and we come to the con conclusion our goal is not to be who's in charge it's to come to the right decision we got a hundred thousand people on property and we're thinking about safety first and uh, uh, when you think about safety first uh, you'll make the right decisions I think we're seeing a lot of it right now people are not really committed to safety mm -hmm. and uh, that's that's the key at Disney safety is always first no matter what it costs and uh, that gives people confidence and that brings people back, and especially where you take your children. I mean, this is sure. like families. They want yeah. a safe place. Right. And uh, Disney World happens to be the safest zip code in America. And, uh, and uh, I mean, we got security. We've got 1,400 security people. We've got cameras everywhere. I mean, you're safe there. Yeah. I, I joke with parents. If you don't like your kids, leave them there for a couple of years. You can come back and get them. They'll be fine. <laughs> and... and uh, and that may not be till they're 15 or 16, but uh, <laughs> if they're below 12, they probably still love you. But, uh, yeah. find, so find the balance. you, you just got to be real. You got to be real. You got to, and depending on the age of your kids, you got to be careful about not scaring them either and overdoing sure. it. Don't be, don't be, uh, they're Danger watching employees. you now. They're watching you and your wife and uh, how you're talking to somebody on the phone, what you're saying. They pick it all up. So be careful. You're, influences and there's nobody that has any more influence in the world than the parents none I and uh, at work uh, people are watching the boss it's That's cool it. calm and collected and uh, you know and i went through some tough times and uh, they're tough let me know 9 11 was tough we lost 40 percent of our business yeah right after that and had to cut costs and we worked day and night i was available we didn't you know and yeah we did I didn't go play golf or go off to the beach. I mean, it's sure. like you're, when there's a crisis, you know, and there's only two things that cause people to change in life, and that's education and crisis. Yeah. A lot of people are going to change their lives after this. Right. And education is the other way you change people. You teach them, you train them, you show them a better a way. And uh, uh, it's pretty simple, actually, uh, simple to talk about and hard to do. But really, what does a parent worry about the most in life? Safety and education for their kids. That's sure. Ask them what else. Well, I don't know what else. Safety yeah. and education. 
Yeah. And, I think, uh, you know, Lee, I've been telling leaders uh, as, as crazy as these times are, it's a leader, it's leadership opportunity at its finest. Oh, yeah. And, you know, to your point, like, don't lose your mind. People are watching, <laughs> you know, I'm telling these, I'm telling leaders, uh, realistic optimism, don't be too far, like everything's going to be okay. And surely don't hit the panic button, but find that realistic optimism. Are there any, I mean, Disney is known as world-class service, you know, 9-11 hits. That was something that you led through. Is there any like stories that we would have never read in the paper that stand out to you from that time of how you took care of an employee or an employee took care of a, a customer or anything like that, that a leader, a leader listening could glean from today? Oh, I think there's a couple. Anyway, you know, the cast members at Disney, people say, how are you, you do such a great job? I say, well, we hire nice people. First of all, we don't try to hire people and make them nice. We really are careful who we bring in. So on 9-11, they all did their job. There was no issues. Nobody ran off, you know, being alarmed. And, and uh, during the hurricanes, uh, we had a hurricanes in 04 where 9,000 cast members could not go back to their homes with, because of the damage. And we found housing for them. We put them up. We uh, make, we didn't lay anybody off. We, we, I mean, we did everything we could for people. And uh, they don't forget that. And uh, they're totally, I'm working with a company now. They have 120 stores in America. And the CEO, it's privately held. He told all of his people back in March, I'll pay you through June 4th at the minimum. Wow. And he took 100000 of his own money and set up a slush fund. And if you have any other problems, you get in touch with me. And uh, so these people are like right now, they're so committed to that company. I think he's going to get his money back a hundred times. That's amazing. Uh, I mean, they're, they're not going to have any turnover. That's a a (laughs) mindset, isn't it Lee? Because I mean, especially if you're publicly traded, you're feeling pressure right now and all this, you know, and, and, and look, I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody that's laying people off, but I am saying, you know, there, there is a way to go about things and there's a way to take care of your customers right now and your employees. Because if you, I feel like Lee, and, and maybe you can speak to this is if you, if you spend too much time playing the short game, uh, you're going to oh, lose the long game. Absolutely. Adversely the same. But right now I feel like there's a lot of leaders that are going all in on the short game because they're panicked. On, they're looking at the stock price. They're looking at the balance sheet, but you know, they may be doing some damage. And I'll tell you, I don't know if you can validate this. I, I, I read this story about a Disney employee. You may not, not have heard of it. Maybe you have, but um, 9-11 hits. In, your, in the resort, there's a fireman. All the airlines are shut down. And we come to find out after the fact that one of the cast members drives a fireman clear back to New York. Yeah, well, that story is a little different. Actually, one of our bellmen gave a, a, I don't know if it was a fireman or policeman, his car and told him, take, take it and go on back to New York. I'll come and get it later. Wow. I mean, this is not on, uh, that that was an extreme, but our people do that kind of stuff every day from, you know, you, you lose your phone charger, they'll go to Walmart and get you one, bring it back to your room. And uh, not because we tell them to do that, they, we allow them to do those kind of things. And that's kind of like giving authority, you know, you, if right. you allow people to do the right thing, then they can figure out what the right thing is because you can never have a rule book that thick. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, there are some incredible stories, you know, that's awesome. we had a little kid that lost a tooth. I've put it in one of my books in the water fountain. And so the tooth fairy wasn't going to be able to come that night. And 
engineering was going by and they stopped and they opened the fountain, opened the drain, couldn't find the tooth. They told the lady to come back at four o'clock. They're going to work on it. And they went into the central shops and made a tooth. And, wow. and uh, they told them Tinkerbell found it. And the little boy was happy as a lark. I mean, wow. <laughs> you know, who does that? That's I'm amazing. Going, I mean, I leaders say, that are listening, <laughs> business owners that are listening, you, we, we have on the show uh, one of the greatest leaders of our time representing one of the greatest businesses of our time. You know, play the long game. Like, I'm not telling you to ignore the short game, but play the long game. Put your people first. Put your customers first. It, it's never going to be a bad thing. Um, Lee, great feedback. Now, I heard you mention at one point that in your life uh, early on, you were insecure. Uh, Lee Cockrell, <laughs> the introvert. Lee Cockrell, uh, the man that lacked confidence. If there's somebody listening today that's in that same position, what would you share with them that helped you gain confidence and your ability to be a great communicator? I think the big thing I had to finally come to grips with is understanding uh, don't underestimate what you can achieve and don't underestimate that you can't start learning. You know, I didn't start learning anything until I was about 21. Maybe I started saying, Hey, this is pretty cool. Cause I went into a Washington DC and all of a sudden I was learning things I didn't know. And I found it exciting. So then I started, I start. I was one of these guys that listened to tapes, Earl Nightingale oh, and yeah. different. Yeah. I'd ha I'd make my people listen to it. It worked for me and I'm sure they still hate me for that. But I, <laughs> And reading, and I really got on it because all of a sudden I woke up, probably maturity, and uh, I, I got out of that environment I was in where there wasn't a lot of success. So I was, now I'm in an environment where everybody's, I mean, Washington, D.C., people are cracking. And when you live in New York, <laughs> you know, you, you put on a nice suit, you shine your shoes, and you go in and be somebody. And I started learning. And the more I learned, the more my self-confidence got better. And I... A lot of people don't get out of the village. They're afraid to go. Sure. I said to young people, I said, just go. You'll figure it out. You'll find a roommate. You'll, you're not going to starve to death. Uh, but you got to have the courage to make the move. Yeah. And I think I have probably a lot of that. Uh, I had the, uh, I take a lot of risk, you know. So, I so mean, you I were quit. willing to look silly in front of the crowd or whatever because you knew <laughs> it was gonna, it was going to make you better. Yeah, and I say today with Google, if you don't know something, it's about one minute you can look it up, and then you'll be smart yeah. again. Yeah. So uh, uh, everything's at our fingertips today, but uh, persistence is a big deal. You got to stay on it, become an expert in something. Have a eighty percent of your success will probably be your attitude. People like to work with people who are attitude and are organized. Mm -hmm. When you can get things done, you got a good attitude, you're going to be pretty successful because you're going to stand out above everybody else. So I know that some people say, how do you get successful? I say, be better than everybody else. That's it. Better attitude, better time, better raise your hand, do things and, and get better at it. You know, if you focus on something every day, you'll become an expert by the end of the year. Yeah, and, I love that because, I mean, again, we see your story now. Uh, but I'll bet the people closest to you that saw the transformation before their eyes, whether it be your wife, I know my wife says it to me all the time, <laughs> my family, they're like, yeah, I run into people from high school and they're like, how in the world did this happen? Like, how did you, how did you? And I think it's so important for people to realize that, that, you know, and I've heard you say this, Lee, age is irrelevant. You might be 50 years old right now and you lack confidence, you're insecure, you're the introvert. Yeah. 
there's no bad time to start. And, you know, Lee makes that leap. He gets out of that insecurity. Confidence is a definite attribute of successful people. Now, you can be successful without it, but it's much easier with it. So take some of these things that Lee is saying because it's something that can be learned. You don't have to just say, well, I was just kind of born an introvert and, and I lack <laughs> confidence. That's how my dad was and my granddad. No, you can absolutely change it. Lee is living a living example of that. Great, great stuff, Lee. You know, you know it's a good podcast episode when you forget that you're recording. And I feel like, I mean, I got my coffee here. And I feel like we're at that cafe that you go to often in Florida and we're just, we're just talking uh, real leadership and it's, it's fantastic content. I'd like to, if you're okay, uh, I'd like to get uh, a speed round of questions and then, uh, then finish it off with a question that I ask every guest, if you have time for that. Sure. So the speed round, what book has had the biggest impact on your life? Well, uh, I think uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People struck me hard because it was so simple, and I never thought about it that way. So that, back in late 80s, that's when I really got it about leadership is different than management. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's a very, very good one. What about this? If there was one mistake that you could think about or a regret that you could do over, what would it be? Um, you know, I, I, that's a, always the question people ask. And I say, I can't, I made a lot, you know, but if I changed any of them, it wouldn't have worked out the way it did, I guess. So I say, if I hadn't dropped out of college, I wouldn't have met my wife. <laughs> and if I hadn't met her, I wouldn't have my son. And So uh, I think maybe I, I have a real problem with not having a degree. I still have nightmares about it. Me too. It never goes away. And I can't find my class and I don't feel... So that uh, that really did a lot of damage to me of uh, not being a good student and getting through it. And my parents weren't focused on it. So not like we are today. If any of our grandkids have any problem in school, would they get a tutor? They get help. We're all over it. I mean, yeah. they're not going to fail. And my family, nobody talked about. It. So right, right. Uh, you know, education. Uh, I didn't apply myself in high school. I said I wrote four books now, but I don't. But still, don't know where the commas go. Uh, so <laughs> I hired I hired somebody, and I said I'm still trying to figure out what do you do with those semicolons. <laughs> and uh, but I don't know, and I learn. And somebody gave me a semicolon uh, course the other day, so uh, maybe I'll get better. But yeah. uh, no, it's. Uh, I think I didn't always treat people as well as I should have early on. I feel bad about that. And, uh, cause I was such a jerk early on cause of my insecurity. Yeah. So making people miserable and ruining their day and I've, uh, give, making them not be able to sleep. And those, yeah. those are, nobody deserves that. Yeah. You know, as much as, uh, you talk about, you talked about college cause I mean, that tormented me, especially early in my career it really tormented me not to have a college degree. But as I look back on my life, and I'm not advocating don't go to school. I mean, my, I'm all over it as well, Lee. My kids are going to get an education. Um, but I feel like it gave me a drive because I had no other option than, than to be the obvious choice and to be the best. <laughs> like, I couldn't be kind of like everybody else. I had to dominate the field in order right. to get noticed. And yeah. um, I don't know. I think uh, to your point, like I wish I had it. I still wish I had it, but I feel like it gave me that other gear uh, to really uh, dominate the fields that I was in. 
Well, I have to tell you, I went to Oklahoma State for two years, didn't get a degree, had terrible grades, and uh, last year I gave the commencement address. <laughs> See, look at this. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that is amazing? I said to the audience, I said, I don't know if I should really be up here. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm a good role model for you students, but... Uh, they can at least give you an honorary degree, right? They could. They didn't. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look into that for you, Lee. That's ridiculous. I, I may print one out on my computer here. I'll, I'll send one over. Hey, yeah, if, um, you know, I know uh, in, in listening to you and what you're doing with your life right now, legacy is very important. You, you even talked a lot about, look, you like the hand claps. We all do. We're wired that way. But it is clear with what you've done and how you've invested in others. You truly get a lot out of making deposits in others. So let me ask you this. If you have the pen in your hand, and you're writing your own obituary, what does it say? Well, the one thing I think about a lot early on in my life, I wanted to be the boss, you know, and now to take people said, my, I want my legacy to be Lee was a great teacher. That's all, you know, whether it's for my family, for my grandkids, for my friends, and he t or strangers. He, we listen to his podcast, we read his books. He really taught us a lot. And uh, so, yeah. Teacher, good legacy. I think you're doing very well in that category, Lee, and I appreciate <laughs> it very much. Uh, two, two more. What's what's your biggest fear? Uh, today is probably this virus. I'm going like, not actually, it's not my biggest fear. My wife won't let me go out though. She's really tough on this. Um, no, I, I'm not. I'm in good shape. I, I the only thing I worry about all the time are my grandkids and my son, his wife, uh, family. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, if, if my grandkids, I tell them to behave because uh, when my wife almost died a few years ago, I had to take care of her for two years and she had a real bad Ill illness and I ended up with anxiety and depression, <laughs> had to get treated for it. I still take medication because personal things really affect me and I'm sure it's that insecurity from you know, feeling that you're going to be abandoned by your yeah. wife or somebody leaving you. And I went through hell and I've told my grandkids and family, everybody behave because I'm not going to do well if something goes wrong here. And uh, I know that. I know that uh, that's going way back to whether, who knows, didn't yeah. meet your father. Or the, I mean, I don't know what it is. Yeah. But uh, I know personal tragedies will really trigger me. And uh, <laughs> my psychiatrist, I finally went to see to get over this. Uh, he, he pointed that out. He said, first, you're a person who likes to control everything. And second, uh, you feel like somebody's going to abandon you, like your wife dies, that it's an abandonment issue. And that probably goes back to your childhood. And, wow. uh, so kind of amazing. And wow. I kind of I agree with him. Because I, when I was born, we lived with my grandmother for the first three years. My mm -hmm. mother was married two or three other times, and, and you know, and yeah. uh, uh, who who knows what goes up in your brain during those times? I can't even remember those things, but uh, yeah, they, they happened. Yeah, and I don't think enough people try to figure out why they got problems. But sure. go for help if you need help. I tell the military that go talk to somebody, get the meds. Get, get, yeah, get, you can get better. I love it. Lee. I, I value your authenticity so much because, you know, I feel like in the world of social media and Twitter and everything going on, everybody's perfect on social media. Uh, but there, <laughs> there are people that are faced with real challenges. And, you know, I appreciate you being so authentic, and which is why I asked you the question is, you know, to help other people um, be, be a little more vulnerable. Last yeah. question in the speed round. 
what's one skill that you have that has helped you the most? I think probably my ability to stay cool, calm, and collected during any kind of it may be going on in my stomach, but I don't show it. People never see me out of control, which is a downside too, by the way. It works both ways. But when you're a leader or a parent, you can't be going off and yelling and screaming and being inappropriate and saying inappropriate things. And I think that's one for me uh, that I'm able to handle a lot of uh, stress. Yeah. 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 Yeah, nobody ever said, you know what I like about my boss? He just flips out over the smallest thing, right? <laughs> I had a couple of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I think yeah. that is a sign of of great leadership, you know, and I think as you go, you know, we talk about being battle tested. You know, some we have leaders right now, leader are going through uh, adversity for the first time through this pandemic. But I think, oh, yeah. not that you ever welcome problems, but to your point, like you, you can learn through them and you know, I often say sometimes uh, the biggest teacher is touching the hot stove and it, yeah. it conditions you to get that collected type mentality and being even keel, not getting too high on your highs and too low on your lows. People are, it's a magnetic thing, especially in the face of adversity. And um, boy, you, yeah. you've been through uh, quite a bit of that. So take note of that leaders. Um, don't be too quick to react whenever uh, things are getting out of hand or people are getting emotional because uh, it's helped Lee. Uh, he just defined it as one of his biggest attributes. So before I let you go, Lee, the question I ask every guest on the show, this, this show is called the Champion Forum Podcast. And I end each show by letting my guests know that they have been set up to be champions in this life. What does that mean to you? Well, I think champions is uh, helping others, frankly. I mean, uh, I don't want it all for myself, and I want to be remembered as somebody who was helpful. And uh, You could call me, and you could get help. And uh, if I can be the champion of giving good advice, that would be great. <laughs> and if I can be the champion of helping people that are struggling emotionally or in whatever way, I would like to be that person. And uh, so I wasn't always, but I now see it. I try to every day uh, pay more attention to anybody I run into and to make sure that I don't make their day worse. It's probably already bad enough. And um, so it's just, uh, as my granddaughter said, the most important thing in service is be nice. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> so I'm I try to be nice. And uh, sometimes it's hard, but you can bite your lip and be nice to people because you don't know what's going on in their life. And everybody's got 10 problems you don't know about that's causing them to behave the way they do. For sure. So uh, I just let it go. I figure they're not mad at me. They don't even know me. So <laughs> <laughs> don't take it personal, right? Yeah. Don't take it personally. Lee, great answer. And uh, man, the time spent here, uh, you know, this is what I'm going back to listen to. And there's not many podcasts in my library. Yours is absolutely one of them. I really, um, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying this because you're on the show, and which is why I asked you before we even started recording, like, I've put it on my list. I want to meet you. Um, your <laughs> podcast, and, and you know, it's not even just your knowledge, because there's a lot of people with knowledge, but I think uh, how you deliver your genuineness, like you're somebody that I want to learn from. And I'll tell anybody listening, uh, go to Lee's website, leecockrell.com. Uh, he's, he's an author of several books, Career Magic, Time Management Magic, Creating Magic, Customer Rules. You want to learn from Lee Cockrell. 
He has a, a, a coursework that he does. His podcast is absolutely amazing. I listen to it every single week. He and uh, the host of the show, Jody, uh, creating Disney magic. You will get a lot out of that. He has a blog that you can get to right on his website. Uh, Lee, what else would you tell them? How should they connect with you? Um, what else maybe do you have going on right now that people need to know about? Well, I'd say the big thing, we've had a lot of free time. So Jody and I have been developing new courses that'll be out in the next two weeks and uh, they're really great. And, uh, uh, we already have a time management course people can buy, or we have a planning course, and we have some free things on the website of how to plan your day, and and we got some really good ones coming, and they're going to be priced very cheaply. We got one for students who are coming out of college shortly and are terrified uh, about how they're going to make their way with the job market and all that. And so we're developing more content, more courses, and trying to give people some advice that uh, they can take now so they don't make the same mistakes I made. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, listen, yeah. folks, you would be crazy not to tap in to Lee Cockrell. Uh, go to his website. Also, uh, it, it will be in the show notes. So, Lee, thank you so much for joining uh, I really appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate you investing into, into me uh, and into our listeners. Again, listeners, make sure that you sign up for the Champion Forum newsletter. You can have the show notes sent right to you. I'm going to have links to uh, Lee's website. There you'll find information on how you can hire him, uh, his podcast, how to order his books, uh, and all of the training resources that he has. I really appreciate you all joining today, as always. I wish you the best. Uh, go out there and create your own magic. And never forget this. You all have been set up to be champions in this life. The Champion Forum Podcast with Jeff Hancher. Lead. Inspire. Win. Win.